It's Tuesday, the 28th of January, and this is the Monocle Minute. Today, after the world gathered yesterday to mark Holocaust Memorial Day, what's the value of national apologies? We'll hear from the author, Tim Marshall. There's a historical memory fades as well, which is why things like the anniversaries are so important to actually getting people to understand what and why things happened, prolonging that understanding. Plus, peace, prosperity and Brexit. The UK's exit from the European Union is just days away. We'll examine just how confident the business world is feeling. I'm Ben Ryland in London. The Monocle Minute starts now. En dat doe ik in het besef dat geen woord zoiets groots. The Dutch Prime Minister Mark Rutte issued his country's first apology at the weekend for the Netherlands' failure to stop the deportation of thousands of Jews. The issue of historical apologies is often politically volatile. But even if the result amounts to little more than symbolism, can they still be worthwhile? Tim Marshall is the author of the book Prisoners of Geography. We are the Danes. The Nazi hordes violated our borders in the early morning hours of April 9th, 1940. Denmark was occupied, and not immediately, but eventually, the Danish government and various bodies within it were told, right, here's the list of all the Jews in your country, go and round them up. Before it was made official, the Dutch government, which was occupied, got word out to everybody, and overnight got the vast majority of the uh, Danish Jewish population to the coastlines and got them across to Sweden. They saved nearly all of them. Now, it's harder for the Dutch, because of their geographic location. Nevertheless, the Dutch train system worked perfectly to deport everybody. The Dutch government civil service, which chose to serve under the Nazis, you could have resigned your position and driven a taxi. Well, not easy. I'm not saying, you know, I don't know what I'd have done. But but that's, that's why you can make the argument that the Dutch did not do enough. Their civil service... Uh, willingly, it would appear, oversaw the deportations and consequently Ritter has apologised. The Dutch, from 45 to, I would say, the beginning of this century, was something in denial about all that. But this century they've, been, they've had a much closer look because the founding myth of the post-war years was that the heroic Dutch resistance, who were heroic, but there was no consideration that actually the government cooperated, just as the French government, which was occupied under great pressure, geographically different, but they could have done more. After all the long and torn history of our two peoples, Tony Blair apologised for the Irish potato famine. Reparations is a much more complicated because it's much more mixed up with, with many other things. But the actual apology, no. The Australians apologised for the stolen generations, all the Aborigine children that were just lifted up and put with other families. They, they made a formal apology. And I think if, if, if the Aboriginal Australian citizens want to feel part of modern Australia in 2020, I think that is one of many things. We apologise for the laws and policies of successive parliaments and governments that have inflicted profound grief, suffering and loss on these, our fellow Australians. Um, New Zealanders apologised uh, to some of the Maoris. The USA apologised to the American Japanese that were interned. I mean, there's lots of other things that haven't happened. Japan 
apologise for World War II, its conduct in, in China. But you can get much more complicated. Let me give you two quick examples. Should Turkey apologise for the Armenian genocide? A, they don't admit it took place. B, and this is the more important point, it was under the Ottoman Empire. Well, that's not modern Turkey, which was formerly 90 after the genocide. And another one, should Nigeria apologise for 400,000 people it murdered? Uh, I think it was the Igbo people in Biafra in the, in the war in the mid-60s when they wouldn't let these people go. Should they apologise? It's within their own country. It gets complicated. The British still have, uh, and I'm far from a bleeding-heart liberal, far from it, but I am also educated enough and have read enough to realise that A, the British still have this, well, we wouldn't behave like that, but yet we behaved appallingly. Good evening. We start with Labour's response to the strong criticism by the Chief Rabbi of Jeremy Corbyn's handling of cases of anti-Semitism in the party. One of the reasons why, after 70 years, I think anti-Semitism is coming back is also there's a historical memory fades as well, which is why... Things like today and the anniversaries are so important to actually getting people to understand what and why things happened and prolonging that understanding. A new set of commemorative 50 pence coins promises Britain peace, prosperity and friendship with all nations as Brexit finally becomes official this week. But as our business editor Venetia Rainey says, it may not be quite the kind of change Brexit voters were expecting. Is that all there is? No matter your view on Brexit, this week feels anticlimactic. Nearly half a century of continental cooperation will end at precisely 11pm on Friday, the sort of time that passes without you even realising it. Big Ben isn't going to bong, and the country will be given 10 million 50p coins engraved with a stomach-turningly empty phrase, peace, prosperity and friendship with all nations. Fine. Even for Remain voters, like myself, irked by such posturing, it's time to move on. As we pointed out in yesterday's minute, Brexit is not done. The following months will see the real negotiations take place, the ones that will shape our economy for decades. The current plan is to finalise a comprehensive trade agreement with the EU by the end of the year. Wishful thinking by anyone's standards. No matter how good it might seem for British businesses, any divergence from our current alignment with EU rules is going to cause problems with our biggest trading partner, which accounts for around half of exports and imports. Much has been made of the opportunities all this opens up with the US and other countries, but nearly two-thirds of companies here say the EU deal is more important to their business, according to a survey by the respected Institute of Directors. The clothing and textiles, automotive, pharmaceutical and finance sectors are particularly vulnerable. With New York going strong and Hong Kong, Singapore and Shanghai on the rise, just 22% of financial firms see London as a major hub for their industry in five years' time, according to another recent survey. Millions of businesses are depending on this next stage to be done thoughtfully and thoroughly. Let's hope they get what they deserve. My 
thanks to our business editor, Venetia Rainey. Elsewhere on today's agenda. This morning, hospitals in Wuhan under-resourced and overwhelmed. With the coronavirus outbreak threatening to become a pandemic, yesterday the Chinese government banned international group tours. There have been fears that travel could increase the risk of the virus spreading, but there are also economic concerns elsewhere. Chinese visitors to Japan are now the largest number from any country, accounting for around a third of all visitors last year. Protests in Lebanon continued yesterday, with demonstrators hurling rocks at police outside parliament. This year's budget projects revenues of about 8 billion euros. Ibrahim Kanan, the head of the parliament's finance and budget committee, admits that that figure is unrealistic and unlikely to be enough to pay for public sector salaries, social aid and debt servicing amid the ongoing financial crisis. And amid Brazil's ongoing culture wars and the expected announcement of a staunchly conservative soap opera star as the new culture minister, an unlikely film has broken domestic box office records. Minha Maia é uma peça 3, or My Mum is a Character 3, has been seen by over 9 million people. The series of films tells the story of Dona Herminia, as played by comedian Paolo Gustavo, one of the country's biggest gay stars, and touches on topics such as gay marriage. Local comedies often do big business in Brazilian cinemas, but in this case, they're making a serious political point too. Read more about today's stories by subscribing to our daily email bulletin at our website. I'm Ben Ryland. The Monocle Minute returns on Wednesday. Thank you.